Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, sitting down to record a solo podcast here. Do a quick one here with my morning cup of coffee. I've got some some things I've been thinking about and, and uh, thoughts I have on hunting that I want to get out there and help motivate you guys for the for the end of the season and um, get you guys excited to get out there and experience and enjoy things. So um, I guess that's where I start. You know, it's um, I I've built this. I'm so fortunate. Like I, I've had this chance to, to to build this lifestyle and to go on these these different hunts and experience different things. I mean, it's so crazy. Like um, you know, just even this season, I I keep moving the goal line as I as I say. Like I I come up with these hunts and these things I want to do and I plan out my season. But I mean, I think I counted like five different states I went to this year. I went to Alaska, Nevada, Colorado. Um, Montana, and then I hunted Wyoming with my dad, and then talking about hunting Idaho in Arizona late, like seven different states. That is crazy. Um, I just love all these blue collar adventures you can embark on, and um, I did eat my my archery elk tag. I didn't feel it. I can still get out here during the rifle season, but what a heck of a season I had so many days of field and um saw so many crazy things and really you know that's what life is about is all these experiences and 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 being on those hunts and you know you're in the the prettiest places that planet earth has to offer the wildest places like the places that i really enjoy so some people like to travel and like to see cities and like to eat good food not me <laughs> i like to suffer i like to I like to go out. I like to challenge myself. I think that's a big part of it. Challenge myself against the elements. Challenge myself against extremely difficult things, and and try to be successful at it. But I also, I like I I love the the wildness of uh, the wilderness has to offer. The backcountry has to offer. Like like to me, beautiful things isn't seeing you know buildings in New York. Beautiful things to me is seeing these. <clears throat> excuse me, seeing these wild mountains and these wild prairies and, and cliff faces and, and just different land features that are just absolutely beautiful where there's there's no trash, pristine views everywhere you look could be a painting. And you get to immerse yourself in this this circle of life. You get to immerse yourself and you, you get to be part of it, part of the predator and prey. Like like that's that's the way you know, a lot of times I think of how easy we have life in our houses. We turn on the tap water. You know, we drive our vehicles to work. But can you imagine like being a, a hunter-gatherer, you know, where where your survival counts on you being a successful hunter? You're living in the elements. And I, I, I just think it's it's a huge part of our human history and something that we're really tied to. And, and I find just extreme enjoyment in, in being out there and doing that. So I'm drinking my coffee as I'm talking this morning. Um, so, I mean, I think that's such a big part of it and such a big part of the enjoyment in, to me. And so, like, eating a tag isn't that big a deal. Like, um, and I, I think I'm I'm better f- from it as well. Like, I get so many days of field. And just being able to experience, you know, not only these pristine settings and these challenging conditions and the the weather and and you know being able to challenge myself like I I also like I really enjoy being in nature like being being in the September rut with these elk like 
like seeing some of these these bowls and not that a, a big bowl is different than a small bowl i've had some incredible experiences with small bowls too that are they're regal that are these um you know these settings that i think are really neat but there's just something about like this big mature bowl as he's as he's screaming and and courting these cows and trying to breed these cows like being part of that like being in that moment is everything to me like they you work so hard for it but being in one of those rut fests where you just hear bugles going on all around you like I can hardly believe that I'm sitting there in that environment and being able to take part of it and so fortunate for the experience and so I did that elk podcast where I or a podcast I did with um, my buddy Dan and, and Logan where we kind of talked over elk season and then we still had a little bit left in our season. We had a good final weekend with those guys. Gosh, got really close on some elk. And then I had to get back to work. I've I've had to really get back to it here. I've got a house deadline and, and uh, I've just got commitments that I've made. And, you know, it it's just part of life is like... Um, you know, you have to do what you say you're going to do at all times. And, and how you do one thing is how you do everything. You guys have heard me talk at how much I want to improve the podcast and my hunting. That also goes for life and, you know, my construction business. And, um, you know, and I, I, I get so much freedom now to do so many adventures and I've structured my life in a way that I really enjoy. But I want to keep working at it to, to make my hunting season as enjoyable as I can make it and, and to make the most out of it. But, you know, as of right now, November is one of my favorite months to hunt for mule deer, but um, I am just booked. I'm I'm working, you know, 10, 12, 13-hour days, um, and then doing book work in the mornings and evenings, and um, just trying to keep up and trying to catch up and trying to, you know, trying to come through with my commitments and, and just part of what I need to do right now and um, get these things done. But it sure is taken away from good hunting time. But uh, it's it's fine. Um, like I say, I've had such a good season and I'm just fortunate I've been able to enjoy this many days off more than the average guy. And so now I'm just a weekend warrior for November. But um, anyways, that last week, um, I finished up the weekend with those guys and I still had a week left in season and my plan was to hunt um, at least glass mornings and evenings and kind of hunt but I had to get back to it I was working evenings and um, super busy and also you know there, there's family things that I'm trying to make the the final volleyball games for Taylor and support that and I'm I'm trying to be a good man around the house like I'm trying to help clean up and trying to you know be there at dinner or help with dinner whatever the case is but um, it's besides the point anyways I couldn't hunt that week but finally Friday night I got out and uh, we had got this snowstorm and this cold that came in from the north and it snowed a good foot in the mountains or more and it got cold it got down to like 10 degrees and um, these elk just came piling out of the hills like you thought there was a lot of elk on private and big herds on private like a few hundred in this hay field and a few hundred in that hay field and a few hundred down over here and a lot on private where you couldn't really hunt um no big deal it's just part of it you can't focus on those elk that are on private that you can't hunt you got to focus on the ones you can hunt well that friday the elk just came out of the mountains like it was freaking insane like every place i looked there was elk um just piled in and so i glass that evening and i I don't know how many different groups of elk, different drainages were full of elk, but I had to I had to pick a play for Saturday morning, and so I picked one of the bigger groups of elk I saw, and I saw a good bull in it, and so Saturday morning, I started hiking, you know, gosh, three in the morning or something like that to make it way back into this spot by daybreak, 
and it was a snowstorm. It was snowing sideways. Like you could see, you know, maybe 50 yards at best. But that's also a cool experience, you know, as you, you know, I'm hunting with my bow and, you know, most of the September rut is, you know, early season. And um, this is like, uh, this is like late season. It's like, it's like rifle season, only I have a bow in my hands, you know, it's, and, and it's like rifle season or it's like this late season hunting, but there's no humans around. Nobody's hunting. I, I have the whole range, the whole valley to myself, anywhere and everywhere I want to go. And there's no people. There's just elk. They're just always tough in the mountains. They're always a, a big climb and a lot of miles like... A lot of the elk around here, if you're not camped back in there, and if you're camped back in, you're so committed to a spot, but if, if you can kind of glass around and find them and then hike to them, but, but each group you find, heck, it could be three, four hours of hiking to get to them. Three, four hours in, three, four hours out, you know, unless you bivy sack in, but snowing sideways, 10 degrees, I go to where this herd of elk are and um, I get in there and I can't even find a fresh track. I don't know. I think they, it just shuffled the deck. The big snowstorm that came in just snowed a bunch more, pushed elk into different spots and lower. And it, it was snowing so hard that I couldn't glass. And so I just ended up walking around all morning into early afternoon and I just couldn't cut any tracks or find those elk. And so I came out, looked Saturday night, glass Saturday night, again, elk everywhere so just trying to figure out you know and none that I can get to by the time I see them I can't get to where they are because like we're talking they can be three hours away or best case scenario they're an hour and a half two hours away and so you know I saw some that tempted me where it's like man can I jog to those things and get to them but there is just no way it was like you need a full day to get to them so glass them Saturday night now I'm down to my last day of bow season and um by the way it's it's really snowy and cold bunch of snow and ice on my bow and things and so you know like I get home and um I definitely want to test my bow you know as shooting in different temperatures different humidity like there's so many things that can affect your strings and affect your your dope and your zero on your bow and you know it probably isn't going to make a difference at 40 but if you got a 50 or 60 yard shot or say 70 yard shot like it's it's definitely could play a difference and could be a yard off you know and for the most part my bow has been absolutely dialed all season long every practice arrow I shoot it's spot on but um I get home Saturday it's been 10 degrees and a bunch of snow and ice on my bow so I just rip some arrows make sure it's on um just something I do throughout season just to make sure you can trust your weapon and so anyways, I, I shoot my bow and go out glass Saturday night, bunch of elk, nothing I could get to. And then um, Sunday morning, just after a fresh snowstorm, nobody hunting. And and uh, so I, I go for my best play and I go for these elk I had seen. And I, I, I really, I had seen a decent six point in there, but I didn't really see anything that big in there. And so I kind of wanted to lay up in the morning and lay up on a glassing feature where I could glass the whole face. I didn't want to have the same thing happen where I go in on them and then get in there and I'm on the feature and I can't find them. The same thing that happened Saturday morning. So, so I go in there and uh, wake up on the vantage point. It is cold. I mean, it's frigid. Um, 10 degrees with a north wind. 
um, super cold when you've been used to like 60s, 70s, but um, you know, I'm piled in and man, I'm just enjoying the experience. I got snow blowing off the trees, you know, coming down from the north and uh, it gets light and I start glassing up there and I start finding elk and I'm like, man, where's the bull? Where's the bull? And I can't find them and they're kind of amongst these scattered trees and and all of a sudden just the one walks out. Biggest bull I saw all season long. Now, I wish I could tell you a score and exactly what he looked like. I did have my scope on me. I got my scope on him. I looked at him for maybe five seconds and went, I got to get up there. Like, it was just, it was one of those bulls that just takes your breath away. Like, um, you know, a big 320 bull I'd be psyched with. This one is way above that. Like, just a big, heavy horn hammer. Um, great big, you know, like the mature six, no busted tines, but I, I didn't stare at him to see what he really was and appreciate it. I just saw him and I was just like, man, I got to get up there. I got, I got to move. I was packing up my scope. I looked for him, looked at him for maybe five seconds. I could tell he was like, you know, like the 360, 370 plus bull, like just a great big, dark, heavy horn hammer. Like, the one you want and just in the snow he's still with the cows like they're still rutting second cycle estrus like it's late season but you still got a hint of the rut in there so these big bulls are still hanging with the cows and so man i start jogging through the snow to get up there and just sweat just beating down my back and down my face and these things are kind of putting away in the timber but you know, I've got a good play at them in the timber. They're they're putting away, and I've got a good north wind. The wind is supposed to change the last day of the season and come from the south then, and and I've got a steady wind. And so, like, I I just I want to play this a little bit, and I'm I'm not for sure I'm going to make a play. And by the way, my my playing on the wind here towards the end of the season, man, have I been spot on like that? I talk about that wind being a higher understanding, and man, once you start to grasp those theories and you start to uh, grab hold of them and, and start to really understand what it's doing. Like, it's just amazing how well you can play the, the winds in the mountains. Like, I've always thought, oh, the, the winds always switch and they, you know, you can't hunt this side and you can't do this. But, man, once you get a higher understanding of it and and, and really figure out what they're doing and, and when to go in on these things, like, um, you're just so much more effective. And it's, I'm always learning. Like, I, I guess the thing I would say is always be paying attention to it. But I, I've seen weird things where even patches of timber mess with the wind, ridge lines, like, there's there's so many different facets that go into creating a good win but man have I been playing it spot on this season I've been playing it really well I messed up a couple times there in Nevada where I tried to cheat it I'm sure I've been winded another time or two this season but for the most part like I've been so good on the wind but anyway so I've got this north wind so I start working around this bull and you know, of course, I'm trying to jog to get up there to catch him while he's still in the open and play on him. And of course, you know, there's another option is to play him that evening when he comes back out and into those openings. But I've really got a good play. This bull's bugling a couple times. He's just got one of those low growls, you know, bugles where he, he just like you can just tell it's such a good, big, mature bull. Um, and hearing it echo through those snowy canyons, uh, just so killer. And there's a pile of elk in there. There's just a bunch of them. So I'm working around them. It's the last day of bow season. So I have this checklist that I check when it gets cold and I'm in the snow. Um, so I, I check to make sure my peep is clear snow. So make sure to blow that out. 
I make sure my sight aperture doesn't have any snow in it. And then one I really check is to make sure that my rest isn't frozen. I've had it where it's snow or rained and then it'll melt and it'll freeze like ice. And all of a sudden my rest won't operate, come up or come down. So, you know, pop my rest up. It's working fine. It's not frozen in. Um, blow out my my uh, app my peep sight and and then my sight aperture and so I start making my way up the north side and I'm I'm really keeping tabs of the wind and it's acting a little fickle on the backside of this timber but um, at the higher I get up there the more elevation I gain the better it is and so I'm really thinking okay I'm gonna creep into these elk in the snow I'm just gonna take my time and so I'm working up the left side of the timber and so I'm I'm definitely like a few hundred yards away from these elk with a good wind. And as I'm working up this edge of this timber, I catch this elk in front of me. And I, oh, there's a there's an elk in front of me. I see a big bleach blonde body and kind of see a rack in there. I thought, oh, it's a bull, you know. And I'm looking for a good six point even still last day of the season. And, and all of a sudden it picks up its head. And that's a great bull. Like it is a, a big dark horn 320 satellite bull. Like it's like, it's like oh man, like a... You know, to have a chance at that big bull is everything to me, but at the same time, it's the last day of the season, and I've got this giant, you know, nice framed, not a cheater six-point, like a, a big, full-tined, beautiful big six-point that I'd be thrilled to death with, you know? Like, that's that's my gold bull, and he's feeding by himself on the edge of the timber, and he's just, like, the experience alone and just him feeding in that timber and, he has no idea I'm there. He's just feeding through the timber and making his way through. Gosh, I was able to stalk in and just slowly put one foot in front of the other. You know, you kind of got that little bit of snow crunch as I'm hunting in, you know, 10, 12 inches of snow. But I just slowly put my foot down and it squeaks a little bit that I can hear him, but he just keeps feeding. And then I throw the next foot down. I just, I slowly but surely just start creeping into this thing. And I'm into bow range of this thing fairly quick. And here I've got this just giant six point that's just feeding with me in the timber. I've got, you know, I'm full camo. I'm not worried about him seeing me. I'm not worried about him catching me. I've got the wind perfect. Like this whole scenario, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to pull this off on the last day. But I continue to be patient and I wait. And he's just feeding, but a lot of times he's feeding like away from me. And I just can't get a good broadside angle and I've got some limbs around and I'm just really making sure that I'm not going to hit a limb and making sure that I'll just put a perfect arrow into him and he'll run over and pile up. And so um, so I, I get into bow range and I'm just patient and then kind of works away from me for five yards. And so I'll gain another five yards on him and I can just like when you can stalk and keep tabs on him, you can see his head, you can see his rack. You can tell when he picks up his head, you can stop moving. You know, when he goes back to feeding, you can move and just kind of reading his mannerisms and, and reading his body language and I creep in and I mean, I am at a chip shot of this thing. I'm like 45 yards, something like that. I set my sight and finally I he comes broadside and I've got no limbs, no twigs. I think at this point I'm a kneeling shot and um, I draw back and line everything up and just settle my pin on them and just execute a perfect shot. And I watch my arrow come out of there so damn wild, like not even close to the bull. And the bull runs off and instantly I'm trying to knock another arrow. I'm thinking, what in the heck happened? As I shot my bow, a bunch of snow and ice came off, you know, from, from hiking up there. I'm like, man, did that snow and ice mess up my shot? Or I, I just can't figure it out. 
and and my arrow came out of there so wild and so I take chase after this bull and he makes it out I don't get another shot at him and just like man last day of the season I sure duffed that one like what happened was it the snow and ice on my bow and I look down and I can I can see my rest is busted and uh my rest it was a fall away rest and and um so I, I pop it up and I look at it and my rest is not working properly. Like it wasn't locked up. Like I told you guys, I checked like it's just catching like I had. Um, so this is um, so I'm going to talk. Well, I'm just telling you guys honestly about like I, I want to have the absolute best stuff on my bow. And so this is what kills me is I I give advice and have a podcast about what to have on your bow and why and how to set up your bow. So I had had I had gone through three different releases. I think I even talked about it on the podcast this year. Um, so what it is is uh, I, I called my buddy that works for that company. This is a, a Ripcord Arrow Rest. It's a Ripcord Ace or whatever. But um, what it does is um, it, it's a it's a, a string operated or a cable operated rest. As I draw back and my cable goes down, it pulls the rest up. And then it falls away. They made this one so when you let down, your rest doesn't go all the way down. It catches and stays up. And then when you release and it's quick, it falls away. This rest has worked perfectly for me. I have shot this thing 10,000 times on two different bows and 10,000 shots. It has operated perfectly. Like I have never had an issue with it, never had a problem. And of course, when I'm shooting at a good bull, like that's the time it fails me. But it was 10 degrees and the grease stiffened up in this rest and it stiffened up to where normally when you release it goes right by that catch that would catch when you let down. Well, this time it was catching on that little spot because the grease had hardened up because of the super cold temperatures. Now I've hunted in cold temperatures, but I don't know that I've got a shot when it's 10 degrees. And even when it's cold, a lot of days it's still warming up to 30. And by the time you get a shot or by the time you test your bow, everything's working fine. Like I had no idea. Sure. It would have been really nice for my good buddy that works at Ripcord to let me know that, Hey, they're having problems with this thing with the grease. But he said it was one of the earlier models of it. And you know, they had, they had replaced a couple of them, and the newer models, they hadn't had any problem with them. And, um, you know, it's kind of the blessing and the curse. Like, I get to try out a lot of these new products and new models. This is actually in one of my buddy's designs. And so I get to try out a lot of these new things. But the bad thing is, is I get to try out a lot of these new things. Well, anyways, the grease caught. My arrow hit my rest on the way down. It went wild. I missed the bull clean. I just beside myself. Well, now I glass over and that giant bull that I had seen in the morning is bedded out in the open with a good wind and I can't make my rest work. Like it's catching on that catch every time. I can't make it fall down and I'm just absolutely beside myself. I don't get frustrated too often. A lot of times I can work my way through issues. I am ready to huck this bow. I am so upset and I just got to calm myself down and go, you know, like as I can look at it later and and now look at it and just be grateful for the experience and nobody, your life is just made up of these experiences and stalking that bull through the snow. That's something I'll always have, whether I killed him or not. Like I always have that experience. And just because it went wrong in the end doesn't mean that it, it wasn't this, this, um, just one of the sickest experiences, you know, just so killer to be part of it out there. But, um, I am frustrated at the time. And so I'm instantly like, I don't want to yell at my buddy, but I, I definitely want to blame somebody. <laughs> like I, so I'm calling my buddy, and I'm like, "Man, that the rest won't fall away." 
you know, I'm thinking about building a fire and warming it up. And he's like, man, you can warm it up. But as cold as it is, as cold as it is, it's probably just going to do the same thing again. And so I, uh, I can see this giant bull and he's bedded out with some cows. He's in a perfect spot. And now I'm holding on to like a, a paperweight, like my bow will not shoot accurately. Like it does me no good. It's, it's too cold. Rest isn't operating fine. So like I have to hike all the way back down off the mountain, like, all of two, three hours back down, get it back down to my house, slap another rest on, tune it, you know, sight it in, and then try to get back up there. And I did have a good hunt that evening. Um, I got up there. I could hear that bull bugling up above. I never could catch up with that big one. I I kept running into elk and bouncing into elk, and I I did pass a smaller bull. And it's it's the last day of the season for me, the last day of bow season. Um, but you know, it just wasn't what I was looking for. He was, I mean, to be honest, it was like a little three by four and I just, you know, I, I don't need the meat that bad. Like I've, I've harvested a bunch of animals this year, caribou and a couple mule deer and antelope. And then I get this, those axis deer as well. Like in the summer months, um, I was fortunate enough to go to Hawaii and harvest those. So, you know, I've got meat plus my daughters are hunting. My youngest daughter shot a buck, which was a killer experience that I want to tell you guys about, but you know, it's not like I, like I need to shoot one. And, um, you know, and in the same breath, I just, I want it to be a bull that I'm happy with. I've harvested enough of them and I've gone so many years, uh, harvesting a nice six point bull that, you know, I'm really looking for a decent six that I'm going to be psyched with. And so I don't shoot the smaller bull. And then, um, you know, I, I kind of hunt and I kept bouncing into elk, couldn't catch the bigger one. And then down below me with, a. 45 minutes left of light I catch these herds and they're just they're migrating like the the herds are just coming across like there there's hundreds of them if if not thousands of them that are just crossing down below and so I make a play on a bull down there and um I get down in and I I get down you know one of the better bulls I could see and I get down in its last light and I got this killer experience with just cow calling all around me as these elk are moving just ew 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 and then this bull would bugle every now and again, and I'm in tight to him. And I, I did get into like my max yardage. Like I think I had him at about 70 yards. And again, he's just um, he's a five point and not a big one, like a like a rag five point raghorn. And it's it's the last day of the season, and you know all of a sudden I'm thinking, well maybe yeah, maybe no, it wouldn't be too bad to shoot a five point. But he was just out at my max yardage, and I made you know. I don't know if you could quite call it a, a size pass on him. I think I, I made an ethical choice not to shoot at him. I just um I just slapped that rest on. You know, I had proofed it, but I really didn't proof like I I proofed it out to my longer yardages, but like I really like to shoot my bow for multiple days. Um I like to have trust in it. Like out at my house, like it's amazing how much you know, a directional wind or a thermal wind, how much that affects your aero flight. Like, and in my house, I live in the prairie and it's windy country. Like even a couple mile an hour wind will affect where my arrow hits and affect my left and right. So I really like to shoot it for a handful of days before I have complete trust in it. So, you know, I knew I was good. You know, if I get a 40, 50 yard shot, it's a dead bull, but this bull's out there at about 70 or so. And I just, I didn't want to end my, this, this epic elk season with this, you know, the, this, the bad experience, uh, you know, if I hit that bull wrong and I, I just didn't have complete confidence in my shot. He was 70 and, and plus just not the bull I'm looking for. Like I, I killed a bunch of those 
the smaller fives when you know when I started elk hunting, and not that a guy can't be happy with a smaller five. Like it, it doesn't matter. We're all in our own experience. Like it, it's all about the excitement and the thrill and trying to get close with your bow. But I really like to be happy when I walk up to the animal I harvest, and and once you've harvested enough of them, like I, I just put you know, tougher and tougher challenges on myself of trying to harvest a good six point bull. And so that five point was out there at about my max yardage. And I just enjoyed the experience. I let those elk walk by. I didn't fire an arrow that night, but what an end to the hunting season. But, um, so back to the rest, I just, uh, beside myself, you know, I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed it happened and, you know, I just, um, I, I tried three different rests this year. And so you guys have heard me on the podcast switching my rests out. And so, okay, the first rest I put on, and it was one, it, it was one that, um, came from Eastman's. It came with the bow. Um, and it's not a bad fall away rest. I just, I have more trust in those rip cords. I, I have a contact there, a guy I can talk with about rests and, um, you know, it's, I, I'm sure it'd be fine. I also had like a slight squeak with that rest. I just couldn't get rid of. And I threw some felt on it and, um, it, it still, it was like the angle of the rest. Like I was getting a little bit of squeak or a little bit of noise. And I've had that, not that bite me before. I had a creak in my bow bite me before shooting at a big seven point, And I drew back and there was a creak in my limbs and that bull heard me drawn. So I want the absolute silent draw. And so I had that rest on first, took it off. And then I put on, um, I have a trophy taker rest. Now they're great rest. They're real simple. So they just work off a, a spring. They've got a wider blade. It, it picks up the arrow every time it's got a cage that encompasses it. And I've, I've used those rests for quite a while and I like those ones. The problem is, is the, the blade. So the blade, it, it's, um, where it picks up the arrow it doesn't have a very steep angle to the blade. And so what was happening is I was drawing back and I draw straight back, but my arrow wants to fling to the left-hand side of the blade and it can almost get stuck on the left-hand side and not go to the center of that blade. And so like I had a couple shots that would go way left or I'd draw back and I'd see my arrow is in the center of the blade. It's on the left-hand side. And so I was worried like in the crunch time when I go to draw back, like if it can go wrong at will, like it would be stuck on the left-hand side of that blade and I, I wouldn't be able to shoot that arrow or I'd shoot it way off and miss that animal. And so I was having this happen. And where I've also ran into that too is if I draw back and I have a wind that's blowing from right to left, that left wind will hold my arrow on the left side of that rest and it won't seat in the center of it. You know, I don't know what else to do um, other than change rest. And so I have this ripcord ace and that thing's always been good to me. It's a great rest, but um, like I say, 10,000 shots through it, 10,000 good arrows. And all of a sudden, you know, it gets cold and I, I have this this mistake or this hiccup with it. But, um, you know, it, it's just a constant evolution. I talked earlier about my checklist in the cold. Well, now I have a new checklist in the cold. Like I got to make sure my rest is falling away. So I talked to my buddy over there. I've got a really good buddy that's super knowledgeable about archery. He's taught me, you know, a lot of what I know about archery. He's a great shot and, and knows the inner workings and the engineering going into these things. So, you know, I had this ripcord fail and I could go away from this rest and I could, I could go to a different rest company and I could go, you know, screw them. They let me down. It, 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 uh, seized up in the cold. I'll never use them again, you know, but in that same breath, it's, it's, I have a contact there and my buddy that I have there, 
I mean, and he just tells me the truth and he's honest with me. And I can find, you know, who's to, who's to say these other rest companies don't have problems with their grease or, or different problems. Or, so, you know, I, I'm going to stick with um, the Ripcord Aero Rest. And so I talked to my buddy and, man, I mean, he just told me everything that goes into it and the different grease they use and the bearings and why they had to use grease. And now they have a, a new grease they have. And I must have had one of the old models. And you just don't know unless it's you know, zero degrees or 10 degrees, you know, um, which one you have. And so, you know, ultimately I am responsible for everything that's on my bow and I'm responsible for all the research that goes into it to that make sure it's, it's going to operate correctly. So, um, you know, I, I take full responsibility and, you know, I should, I should call my buddy and talk to him and say, Hey, you know, is there anything I should know about this raster? You know, I, I just should, should look more into, I should do all the research to find the, the absolute very best accessory on my bow for each one I have. And, and, you know, whether it's my sight, whether it's my quiver, whether it's my, my rest, whether it's my release, like I have to put the time and effort in to make sure that I have the very best on my bow. And, you know, I'm a guinea pig at times trying different things and trying new products, but, um, that was the case with this one. And so, um, I know more about rest now. I have dove into it, had in-depth conversations with my buddy. I now have a new limb-driven rest. I got two of them, one for my bow, one for my backup bow. No more switching rest. You know, these are the two that I'm going to use and I'm going to trust. No grease, no oil. They're all off ball bearings. They're actually, um, they're limb-driven, but it's all just done with a spring. Like, it's a simpler design that, you know, as I draw back it and the limb bends up, it picks up my arrow rest. And as I shoot and my limb goes down, my, my arrow rest goes down. You know, I, I've double checked, you know, I, I've got the best knots down to my limb. Now this is the first time I've gone to a limb driven, um, rest. I've always used the down cable. They've always tuned and worked fine for me. And you know, I'm always like, well, you got a, a bigger string there. It could get caught in the brush. Well, anything can get caught in the brush. This can be fixed in a matter of seconds. And like, you know, it, It'd be worse if you had one on your down cable and you hooked that string and pulled it out of your down cable. Then you need a press to put it back in or you need what's called like a football that'll clamp to your string. And I don't really trust those as they can slide up and down. So, you know, really, you know, this is the the easiest fix if something goes wrong. And I, I trust it. I've got good knots on there. I'm not going to hit anything with my strings. It's got my quiver protecting it. You know, I've also got the strings on my bow that I'm always conscientious about like I'm watching going through brush so uh, it'll be fine but I'm really impressed at how quick these things tuned um, how forgiving they are like I think um, yeah I don't know if they uh, uh, so my buddy was telling me that they make contact with your arrow longer um, than a down cable rest will and kind of showed me the reason why you know how long it stays up and makes contact to your arrow until it falls down like I think it plays a a part in your tuning process like it mine tuned really forgiving like almost more forgiving than the one on my down cable did so I was really impressed with that which I think you know affects your groups ultimately and makes for a more forgiving bow so I'm pretty psyched with it I have the best release on the best rest on there like I don't have to worry about it in the cold anymore and the problem solved and like I say I I had one of the best elk seasons and it it just motivates me to to hunt harder next year and and um 
I really, when when faced with this season, with decisions and tough decisions, I always chose the tough one. I always stayed out the next night. I always went hard. I always went for the elk I had a chance at. I got into a bunch of them. I had a a couple close encounters with those giant next level bulls that I want to get in, and and then some other encounters with those those good 320 inch bulls that are also my goal target bull. If I can kill one of those, I'm pretty stoked. So um, it's just been a heck of an elk season. I learned a lot. I'm hunting really effectively and efficiently. Um, help help family and friends like get into elk and have experiences where I wasn't the shooter, and I'm trying to help those guys out. Um, it's just it's it's been a heck of a season and a real enjoyable one here. Well, one sec here, guys. I got to pause. All right, guys. Thanks. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. Gosh, I had to take a break. The construction phones just ringing off the hook just swamped right now but yeah it was such a a great experience and um stoked that i you know that i had such a good elk season and so many great encounters and um i learned a ton i'm just i'm a better elk hunter at the end of this season than when i started the season and for me that's the goal it's to keep improving and keep getting better and i got a couple chances at those giants that i that i yearn for that i you know that keeps me working hard and 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 keeps me training hard and and um you know that's that's how i enjoy life to the fullest i like working hard towards things it's a, it's enjoyable for me so um i just i just want to continue that and i think um not harvesting a bull this year um i've harvested a lot of good six points and i'm I'm fine with it. I really am. I had a, a bunch of great encounters. And so now I just want to continue on uh, a mule deer season. The mule deer route is upon us. I'm going to have to work hard and be hunting weekends, but um, it, I'm going to enjoy that too. And and hopefully I can I can kind of get done and maybe enjoy a coos trip towards the end of the season. And like I say I'm just so fortunate to be able to do everything I'm able to do and, and have this podcast. It, it's just, it's amazing. But um yeah, enjoyment of life is so important. Like we, we get one chance at this thing, and we today's day and age, you're so caught up in you know the 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 work and making money and paying bills that it, it's so fun to have this this passion of hunting, something that you love with every fiber of your being, every moment that you're doing it. Um, something to look forward to, something that keeps you working hard, you know, which, which in turn you're taking care of your body. You know, I, I really feel like I'm in the, you know, the, the, the top 5% of the nation as far as fitness. Like I almost feel like a professional athlete as hard as I work at it and as good a shape as I keep myself in. And I, I take pride in that. And it, it also, it gives me confidence in hunting. It gives me confidence in life. I just know I'm in that kind of shape where I can push my body, whether it's, sleep deprivation, whether it's work, whether it's a tough hunt, like I, I know I can count on myself and I know I'll come through and I, I love that feeling. So, um, yeah, I just want to keep improving and keep getting better and, and, uh, trophies come over time too. Like I always thought, you know, um, I started working really hard and this is, you know, 15, 20 years ago or probably 15 years ago, I started working really hard towards my goals of killing a giant muley and killing a giant bull. And I I put in the hard work, and then that year would come, and I'd get a couple opportunities, and and wouldn't kind of uh, I, I wouldn't seize it. And, and it seems like success is a little bit delayed. Like you have to improve your skills and be that 
that type of hunter that improves his skill set. And then when you're given the opportunity, you close that deal and you kill that giant muley. And so it didn't always happen the first year after doing, you know, multiple marathons and running hundreds of miles and shooting my bow and really working with my bow to improve my shooting. I do everything that was necessary, my research, my scouting, and then I might fall short on my goals. But you know, when it start to come through is on the second year, the third year of working hard towards my goals and, and having that mindset. And then I'd get that opportunity and I'd close that deal. And this has been a heck of a season. Like I've harvested like four Pope and young animals, not to mention a bunch of animals in Hawaii. Like I'm living the life and, and, um, you know, there's just a couple misses that'll kind of haunt me for this season, but it's going to, it's going to keep that desire burning and that, you know, that, that willingness to, to work hard and, and to keep putting in my time and effort. I had that miss on that giant muley that I know was over a 200 inch buck, um, 36 wide, just the one and wind drift got me on that one. Um, you know, it's just attention to details and it was a longer shot and I, maybe I could have played it different in hindsight, but it is what it is. I'm going to learn from it and get better. And I had that miss on that bull, you know, that's a heck of a season. If I ended up with that buck, that bull and the other four animals, I, you know, that is an absolutely out of this world season. And I'm, I'm right there. I'm, I'm on the precipice of it. Like I just need to keep working hard, keep this mindset and then make good on these opportunities. And, and, um, not only that, I need to improve like my my win game. And I talked about earlier, like my stalking game after Nevada and Colorado, like I was in the matrix, like it's all making sense to me. Like my instincts are so good right now. Like I'm hunting so effective and efficiently. I just got a couple misses and, you know, it's like I had those opportunities. That those critters just need to be better and and make good on those opportunities. And I can guarantee that, that you know, I. I, I have dove into the rest. I know more about rest and the grease and the bearings and how they operate than a one man probably should. But I know now I can trust my rest. I got two of them. I got one on my bow, one on my backup bow. I am set, you know. And so I, this attention to detail, I need to I need to keep with that attention to detail. And I'm so busy right now with construction and podcasts and writing and things. But, I, you know, I can't slip on that because those are... Those are the moments where, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a chance to accomplish my dreams and, and I miss it because I didn't pay attention to the details. So, um, just need to get better at that, but man, I'm pumped. What a season. And then I had that, that hunt with my daughter. Um, my youngest daughter started hunting this year and, um, that's pretty much been the highlight to my year being able to, to take her out and share my world with her. And so she's 10. She could get a mentorship tag here in Montana this year. It's a new rule change. So my other daughter couldn't start hunting until she was 12. And so we got Katie her tag. She's super psyched. And so we worked with her. I got that little 7mm08. I've got low kick shells in it. And when you're working with a new hunter, it's so important to get them familiar with their weapon and familiar with their shooting positions. And so I really worked with Katie I should get her on the podcast too. She's not around right now, but, um, you know, I really worked with her. I, I work hard with these kids, getting them familiar. And I had to teach her everything about safety too. She hasn't been through hunter safety. It's part of this program that the parents can mentor her and take her out and be by her side and, and, and give her this experience of hunting and see if she likes it and is drawn to it and eventually we'll have her go through hunter safety but you know you're you're really focusing on muzzle control you're focusing on the safety and the bolt and being able to work the rifle and once they have an understanding of the rifle they start to feel comfortable and confident with it and they're always worried about the kick so the the kick these low kick shells are great for kids and my kids are so small like 
I think Katie, she might weigh 50, 60 pounds wet wearing boots. Like she's just a little kid. Um, but you know, this rifle fits her good and, uh, we're really working on her stock position in her shoulder, getting her face down to the stock every single time. And, and we work dry firing the rifle quite a bit. So we work on my deer target outside. I say, okay, sitting position. She gets in a sitting position. Uh, rest aim is so key for those kids. I don't think she could hit the side of my house off an offhand shot. She's just not a good offhand shooter. She's not strong enough, and she sh- she's been around guns her whole life. But you know, she she hasn't been. We haven't been working with that rifle nonstop. You know, to to get her offhand shooting, and so she needs um, sticks. And so we, I, I have a set of bog pod. Um, uh, tripod sticks that I use for her that she can set her rifle on. And so we practice getting in the sitting position, acquiring her target, you know, holding her crosshairs on, squeezing the trigger. And she has such good trigger control from all her bow shooting. We shoot tournaments, you know, in the winter time and things, a 4 H club. And so, um, I think really being a good bow shot makes you a good rifle shot. And so we work on her lay down, her sitting, her standing, getting on the sticks, acquiring her target, squeezing on the trigger, and then we do live fire drills where we go out and we live fire the gun. I have her wear a little bit heavier jacket, helps with the padding, and um, you know, she shot a rifle before, so she's familiar with it, and their confidence grows as as you have them shoot these live rounds, and she's putting them in there pretty good at 100 yards, but we're not shooting off a bench rest. Like, I know I've got that gun absolutely dialed in, and so we're just practicing her shooting positions, acquiring her target, her in-the-field preparation, and so then we, we get to go. They have a youth season where the kids get to hunt a couple days early from the general rifle season, and, and it wouldn't bother me to hunt the general rifle with her in fact I'm going with my oldest daughter during general rifle this upcoming weekend but to take her out and share my world with her like like that's what hunting's all about like like my time being able to help my dad on his hunt being able to help the Hawaii guys being able to help my buddy Dan and you know and and then being able to take my daughter like that's part of part of being a good hunter like um is is sharing your knowledge to help other people you know and, and enjoy some success and have some fun in those encounters that are just so thrilling in the woods so we went out um we went out deer hunting we got out there uh, and we're looking for any deer her her tag is good for a doe or a buck so we're looking for any deer that we can get a clean good shot at and so First one, we see this doe kind of working through the brush, and we get her on the stick. She finds it in the scope, but there's limbs in the way, and we just don't. She, the doe doesn't offer a good shot. So we kind of wait for that doe to come out for maybe a half an hour or so. And, and we're not in a spot that's covered up with deer. There's, there isn't many in there, but so we wait for that deer to come out. It doesn't come out, and so we decide to just kind of still hunt our way through these broken open meadows in, in and amongst this willow brush, and we're looking for white-tailed deer. And, we get to this opening and we kind of sit there and then all of a sudden I see this deer and it's running across this this opening and it's I mean after she shot it it was maybe a touch farther than I wanted her to shoot I wanted it to be 100 yards and in and I think it was closer to 150 it I'm so bad at judging yardage from 100 to 150 well I'm bad at judging bow yardage too so I can't even say under 100 I'm really good but it just happened so quick as this spike buck was running across this field and uh, so I got her on the sticks and I got her looking through the scope. She acquired her target. She's tracking her target. 
And I said, oh, okay, Taylor, I'm going to try to stop this deer. You know, only shoot if you're steady. You know where to aim. And we've gone over, you know, everything is new to these kids. And so you got to go over aiming point and, um, you know, where you want to put the bullet in these deer. And so um, anyways, I stopped the deer, grunt at it, stops. And uh, she gets on it. I said, okay, if you're steady, you can squeeze on it. And just about the time she's getting ready to squeeze, the deer takes off again. I go, okay, I'm going to stop it again. So I stop it again. And and uh, I said, okay, if you're steady, you can shoot right behind the front shoulder, you know. And she squeezes and boom and, and shoots. And uh, instantly I can tell she hit that, that bucket, like the front end dropped to that buck. And he was kind of like wheelbarrowing himself into the brush and, and ran into the brush. And she goes, I think I missed. And I said, no, I said, you nailed him. I said, good shooting, Katie. I said, that that was a, you know, it was a tough shot. It was standing off a bipod, probably closer to 140, 150 yards, something like that. And uh, she's familiar with that gun. I, you know, I really, I wanted it to be a close shot, um, but she surprised me. Like, um, I thought it was closer to 100 yards. I really did. Um, I, I wanted a positive experience, but just all her work with that rifle, live firing, the dry firing rounds, getting familiar with her shooting positions, it all paid off there. And uh, as a 10-year-old girl, just made a perfect shot on that deer and um, shot it. And uh, we went to where it last was, and I told her she hit it good. And right where it last was, I spotted that deer, and, and it was dead right there. And uh, she was so stoked. She was stoked. After she fired the shot, she felt that that energy, that excitement, like that's built into our DNA. That's that's from like, um, you know, we were hunter gatherers you know, two hundred thousand years ago. Like, food meant survival, and that excitement of, of harvesting an animal. Like, there's nothing like it. I, you know, I I don't get that excitement out of anything else, and it's fun to share that with my daughter. And and she's hunted with me before, but for her to be the shooter and make that shot and feel that excitement was pretty cool. And and then, um, you know, we were quite a ways away from the truck. I mean, you know, maybe a mile or so, but, um, so, but I didn't want to drag it. Uh, so we did infield butchering, um, you know, took the liver and the heart and, 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 um, you know, it just like being in the woods with your daughter, like you think you get to explain everything, but when we're hunting together, like it's so fun to like tell her, okay, we're hunting these willow brush and the deer go there and they bed for the day. And then they come out into these fields at night and they feed and just talking about everything of this ecosystem of these deer and these tracks and the deer was going this way. And even though she's seen tracks and she's hunted with me and you know, it, it's just different when she has the rifle and we're able to spend quality time and we're able to, you know, feel the wind in our face and watch the leaves falling down. And like we, we're we outside enjoying what I love to do together and I'm sharing it with her. It just means the world to me. So we we butchered that deer in the field butchering process where we, you know, quarter it up, take the loins, back straps, take all the loose cut to meat, uh, liver, the heart. And so she helped with all that process. It's getting dark. And I also catered the experience to her. Like it's, it's no fun for a 10 year old girl to, to be freezing her butt off out in the cold morning, like, you know, a 10 degrees morning and snowing like my elk hunt. That's not fun for her yet. Like she has to learn the payoff and the excitement that you get and the fun it is to work hard at it. And then you start incorporating these tougher hunts because she knows the payoff and she's willing to put multiple days in to get that payoff. Like I am, I, I'm willing to, 
I, I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to work so hard for an entire month and not get an opportunity because I know what that opportunity feels like when I get it and the excitement and the uh, the feelings of accomplishment when I do accomplish my goals. But she doesn't know that yet. And so you got to kind of cater these hunts. And so it's an easier whitetail hunt. We're shooting any deer. And I purposely didn't take her out that morning. I waited until the afternoon, evening hunt. It's warm, 65 degrees. You know, it's sunny out. Like you say, we can feel the sunshine on us. We can really enjoy it. We don't got to worry about her feet being cold or hands being cold. Like we can just enjoy the experience together. And so I really try to cater it to these kids. And now my oldest daughter is getting older. She's seen the payoff. She's willing to work harder, hike more miles, be out in the cold a little bit. Like she can take a little bit more. But I really try to cater the experience to him. So it was warm. We we butchered up that deer, loaded it up in the backpack. She helped pack out. And then um, we just proceeded to take a different way back to the truck and got into this swamp and just knee-high water. I carried her across some, but her feet got wet. But it, it's in the dark with a headlamp going across. I actually learned that there was a, a big black bear that was in there later, that uh, there had been a big black bear that had been eaten on these apple trees and things that – it's supposed to be a big seven footer, but, um, I didn't tell her that, like I say, I'm catering the experience to her and, but it, it was just, it was an adventure. Like we got to carry that thing out in the swamp and get wet and we're with headlamps and it's dark and you don't get a chance to do any of that unless you're a hunter. Like you don't get to experience that or take yourself out of your comfort level, you know, and, Unless you're a hunter, I, I like you can take yourself out of your comfort level. Don't get me wrong, but there isn't many times where you're hiking through a swamp with a headlamp with a hundred pounds on your back just for fun. Like you're you're doing that because you're hunting, and then to come home and to butcher that deer, and then to be we've been eating on Katie's deer here. We're through all our 2017 meat into our 2018. We always like to have some fresh steaks that were never frozen and. Um, it, to see the pride on her face when mom says, oh, this is Katie's deer, or, you know, when I cook it up and, and, uh, we're eating Katie's deer and thanks Katie for the harvest. And she just knows the full cycle of life. But, um, I'm so fortunate that I get to share this with my kids and, and with my family. And, um, that is the highlight of my year. And she still has, um, I actually bought her a doe tag that day. So if she did shoot a doe, she could tag it with her doe tag and still have her buck tag. But since we shot a spike, she burned her buck tag. We do have a doe tag. So we're going to try to get her out a little bit more, um, you know, and, and maybe do a couple more hunts and just see if we can maybe get lucky. And then I'm really looking forward to Taylor's hunt this weekend. We're going to do an adventure hunt. We've only got the weekend. It's going to be jam packed, but you know, I get to drive across the state with her and spend time in the truck and, you know, she's a teenager. She's 15 now, or she turns 15 this month. Um, she's a freshman in high school. You know, she's starting to drive. Like, she's got her friends, and she's got sports, volleyball that she likes, and track and things. And so, you know, I just want to continually do these things that we can do together. And I, I took him fishing this summer. I take him fly fishing quite a bit. And, um, you know, I just want to have these things, these these bonding periods in life. And this is when we can really have honest conversations. Like, I, my, my quality time with my family is so important in the evenings, but it's, it's strange how you just don't get into as many in-depth conversations and I'm trying to kind of guide her through life and give her, you know, advice here and there. But, you know, as they start to get into high school, they don't share everything with you, you know, they, um, 
you, you don't get to hear about their day as much. You ask them how their day, you get a one-word answer, and you really got to pry in. But when we can spend the weekend together and have conversations about our friends and different dealings at school and, and hunting and life and, and then to try to give her the right information, you know, to – you know, to, to chase your passion right now while you're young, you know, find something that you love to do and work hard at that and try to make a living out of that. And also this entrepreneur mind chip, uh, trying to, 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 to start a business or work for yourself that, you know, working in a cubicle for somebody, you know, and, and who knows what the right advice is. I mean, for her, you know, I think it's college and finding a job that she really likes and working hard to get there. But I just want to stress that, like, you just get, you get one chance at life, like, like, try to really do what you enjoy to do and and try to find things that you're passionate about and things that you enjoy and you know right now it's volleyball with her volleyball team and traveling with them and friends and you know and enjoy and embrace that like still get good grades be a good kid but um you know try to do find the things you like in life and and spend as much time doing them as you can um but yeah just so fun to share it with family so um, that's been my season. I'm going to get to, uh, some mule deer hunt in a couple different states, maybe, um, coos deer and, and, uh, I'm going to get this house done. I'm going to get my clients moved in. I'm going to finish my commitments. I've also got some other side jobs that I'm doing. I'm working evenings on them. Like I don't mind grinding right now. I've had such a good season. So I'm just going to grind. Um, hopefully I can get my, my weekends. I wasn't able to go last weekend and it was just killer dates for the mule deer rut. But, um, yeah, I'm going to, get after it and and um, I'm real happy with the way the season's gone I'm, I'm real happy with the way my skill set and knowledge has has progressed and and I, I'm just so fortunate to have this podcast and be able to share it with you guys and give you guys the right advice and so um and I'm just pumped that's a solo episode uh speaking of work I better get there and get something done but uh I'll release this out to you guys as a as a bonus episode as always appreciate all the support you guys and and uh it's been really fun to share in your successes this season and and I just I want to make this this networker this this um, society of, of of hardcore hunters that we work really hard towards our goals and successful and support each other and and um, it's just it's so cool to be a part of and and uh, so thanks you guys I appreciate it I'm gonna go pound some nails here for a little bit and uh, get out with my oldest daughter this weekend uh, I got another podcast coming out to you this week so um, I'll get that finished out finished and uh, out to you and uh, man oh man we'll uh We'll go from there. Also check out um, at Eastman's there, um, the gift guide for Christmas gifts is out. And uh, we just did all our Christmas picks for, um, you know, good gifts for for hunters out there. That'll be coming out in the next issue. But our our gift guide is up on our website there. Um, it's just got some great gifts for uh, the hunter in your family or, or hunters that you know that you're buying gifts for. So make sure to check that out at, at Eastman's.com. And um, appreciate it, guys. Talk to you soon.